Hey everybody, this is Tom Haberstroh. Welcome to the world premiere of the Haberstroh Show, my new podcast on NBC Sports where I'll have conversations with some of the biggest names and thought leaders inside and outside the league. I'm excited to announce my first guest. He is perfect to make sense of today's NBA. We just had Kevin Durant and Draymond Green feuding inside a pressure cooker of a championship quest. We have teams playing seven seconds or less offense on turbo mode, launching threes and running lightning quick offense. Brooke Lopez! Brooke Lopez is shooting like 10 threes a game. To talk about both, I introduce you to David Griffin. Everyone in the league knows him as Griff. You can call him that too when you see him. The former GM of the champion Cleveland Cavaliers who knows a thing or two about managing superstars and their superstar egos. Cough, cough, LeBron. Cough, cough, Kyrie, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith, etc. Before that, Griff was in the Phoenix Suns front office for 17 years and worked alongside Steve Kerr, the Colangelo, Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, and my pal over at ESPN, Amin L. Hassan. Nowadays... Griff is a regular on NBA TV and the co-host of Deals and Dunks with Joel Myers on SiriusXM Radio. Go check him out there. But one thing before we get started, be a pal, subscribe, review, rate five stars wherever you get your podcasts, and go download the NBC Sports My Teams app in your app store. It helped keep the lights on and the mics on, okay? Without further ado, let's get to the show. Welcome to the first episode of the Haberstroh Show podcast. Welcoming our first guest, rolling out the red carpet for this guy. It is David Griffin, a friend of mine in NBA circles. He is just known as Griff, uh, an all-around great dude. I consider him a friend, um, has been there for me in, in many ways, but now he is on my podcast, which is pretty cool at NBC Sports. Go download the NBC Sports My Teams app um, if you haven't already, for all your NBA needs. So, Griff, let's just start here. How are you? Are you safe? I know you're in Sonoma, and it seems like, man, you could be in danger zone any minute. Are you okay? Yeah, no, all is very well, and I think we feel like we will not be in any kind of danger at all. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for all the people here that went through the fires last year, the smoke itself gives a sort of eerie feeling. A couple days ago, the smoke was so thick you couldn't see the sun. Uh, that was a little ominous. Um, but right now, just really trying to focus our efforts on the things we, we can control. And a big part of that are helping with the relief efforts. And if you go to redcross.org, you can get a look at how you can help. And it doesn't need to be money. You know, there's thousands of homes that were burned to the ground with everything in it. So things you might ordinarily give away to the goodwill could go to good use. So right there, that's a little piece of Griff. Uh, he is a team guy. He is um, a huge ambassador in the Cleveland community from his time as a champion, general manager, VP of basketball ops with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And for 17 years, he was with the Phoenix Suns and kind of saw the NBA change, had a front row seat to that, and had a hand in just about all the cool things that happened in the league, including Shaq being in, uh, in Phoenix and playing in the seven seconds or less Suns. Um, I'm sure you have tons of stories about Shaq, but I, I want to get into this, Griff, is... This week, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about KD and Draymond Green getting into it after a game the other night. Iguodala stayed down. That's an, almost an air ball, a ticked iron. They don't use a timeout at three. Draymond at two. They got to get a shot off, and they don't. It will go to overtime, which is still a win for the Warriors, but you would have loved to have had a shot to win the game. Draymond Green said some things, some choice words onto the court, and got suspended by the team. 
it was a stunner for me, Griff, because I thought that this was just a normal thing that happens with championship aspiring teams, uh, teams with a lot of talent, teams with a lot of ego. The, the Golden State Warriors have won a couple championships already. They're going for a three-peat. And I just thought they were going to uh, sweep this under the rug. But the team decided to come out and suspend Draymond Green for a game, which was the second night of a back-to-back. And I kind of felt like maybe they just rest him because he was coming off an injury already and it was a back-to-back set. Maybe they rest him quietly and say he's um, injury management. And no, they decided to suspend him and he would not get his $120,000 paycheck. So as a GM, a former GM, what would you have done in that situation if just from your perspective, how serious does it have to be for you to suspend a player? And when does it cross a line where you say, hey, we can't contain this and we shouldn't contain this into our own building? We have to make this suspension public. First of all, I, I would have done exactly what they did if, if I was playing the cards they were playing. I assume they, they know far more about their situation than I do. So I'm I'm not going to pass judgment on what they did. I, I think in terms of what it signals quietly and obviously now it's not so quiet. Things are starting to get out. But Draymond has always run very hot. You know, he's somebody whose passion and edge is really what helps get them over in terms of all of the skill set guys they have that may not be identified necessarily by grit. Now, it doesn't mean they're soft by any means, but he is really that guy who takes everything to another level, and he's always been that guy. And for he and, and Kerr to have made it as far as they have, as volatile as their relationship has been, because Steve is very much of the school of, I'm going to love you enough to tell you what you need to hear, and Draymond doesn't always want to hear it, For them to get to this point, I I think it's fairly significant. But I also think what it really says is the rest of the guys in that locker room recognize Draymond went too far. And in order to maintain the respect that you have in terms of Steve and Bob in that locker room, they, they had to do something to hold Draymond in check. Because what Draymond really did was open fire on the most important free agent in their organization And they couldn't let that go unchecked. So I I get why they did what they did. And relative to how big a deal it is, if this was Clay Thompson, who was really a stoic guy and didn't speak very much, I would say the sky is falling. It's Draymond. (laughs) So they're used to this. They know how to deal with this. It's like the Celtics when Rondo was crazy. They know how to deal with that. And the crazy is what makes him great. So I think not only do they know how to deal with it, they embrace it. So – What this signals to me is that they are very much trying to support Kevin Durant, even though everyone around him, from what it sounds like, expects him to leave at the end of this season. It seems like Bob Myers and Steve Kerr and the rest of the organization want to be behind him for what little chance or perceived what little chance they have to keep him in the uh, organization long term. Like, was that your read was that they wanted to be there for KD or was it more, hey, we need to make sure that Draymond Green is being professional and responsible here and not going to ruin this season? Yeah. I mean, I think it was definitely supporting KD. You know, I really believed coming into the year that it was a foregone conclusion he was going to stay. And then a lot of this was just window dressing to cover up the fact that when he went there, he knew he couldn't get full max until his third year. And they all made that. Even though his agent, Rich, uh, tweeted out that he wanted to one day run the Knicks, that was his goal. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I ignored all of that. Um, you know, being associated with the player of the greatness of KD gives everybody a chance to be known, right? So someone taking the opportunity to do that, not surprising. But I really believed it was all just the fait accompli and this was all just window dressing. And now clearly I don't believe that. And I think if you're the Warriors, you won 73 games without this dude. And there's a cadre of guys in that locker room that have been together. They're the nucleus for an existing period of time. Livingston, Iguodala, Clay, Draymond, Steph. Those five guys were there prior to KD. And they're still going to be damn good without KD. And I think they all know that. What they can't do is win without Draymond or Steph. Yep. And while they won last night, they don't win without Steph very often. And I think they're going to do what they need to support KD. But I also think organizationally, if you're that good and you run yourselves that well in this city, you win that many championships. If there's something else that KD is looking for, good on you, man. I hope you find it because we're not changing for you. We're, we're about the right things already. And if that doesn't speak to you, tough break. Not many people on this earth have the experience of dealing with a MVP candidate uh, with a free agency around the horizon. You do. You had LeBron James who was stringing along, it seemed like hijacking, not hijacking, but holding the organization hostage year after year because there wasn't a, a multi-year or four-year, five-year deal. LeBron James very deliberately almost kept your feet to the fire, the organization on one plus ones or one-year deals. What does that do for an organization? Does it feel like man, I really wish you would just commit beyond this year. Or do you actually like that competitive spirit where it's like, hey, we're all in this year. Let's maximize everything this year because we might lose LeBron. Well, it cuts both ways. So it makes a lot of things very easy. You're either all the way in or all the way out on winning championships. And when you only get one year to do it, I'm not going to allow for any kind of slippage relative to your commitment to it. And Did so anyone enables- have the Draymond Green, like enough to go at LeBron about that? Like, was there anyone like Draymond Green in the locker room that you needed to basically check LeBron on some of those things when he felt like he had too much power? Sure, sure. No, I mean, first of all, LeBron's power was grossly overrated. He didn't even try to wield power. It's not what he did. But because he had us on one-year deals, ownership is terrified that they're going to lose the guy and you got to win a championship during the window you have. And because he continuously never committed long-term, you knew that there was another shoe to drop. So the fact that he left was a given. And what you were trying to do was win each year's individual championship without giving up anything in the future that would really damage you. So I'm really grateful that we were able to go through that process win a championship for the first time in a bajillion years in in Cleveland, Ohio, which was awesome. I'm grateful we got to do that and not harm their future. They've got incredibly clean books moving forward. Their draft pick is going to be there because we didn't give up a lottery pick. If their pick is a very good one, they get to keep it. But it was a difficult balancing act because, again, you're you're not given the luxury of playing a long, mindful, sustainable game. Mm -hmm. You know, Boston has continually just sat there and waited and waited and waited. And Toronto did the same thing for a while before Masai and Bobby felt like they finally had to cash in. So on a one-year deal, by definition, you're gonna win right now. And you just hope that you don't have to do it at the cost of the future or at the expense of the future. And fortunately, we were able to avoid that. And obviously Golden State's not gonna change anything they do because of KD. They're, they're gonna keep being what they are. And 
to a great degree, the situation recruits itself. As I said, if you don't want to be about that, championships are all the way in or all the way out. And I, I think Draymond has a reason to be upset. And if knowing Draymond's history, I would have expected him to be that Kevin hasn't at least pledged allegiance to the guys in the locker room. Like, don't say that you're going to stay, but say that you love these guys, say that you love playing with these guys, say that you're grateful for the opportunity you've been given, say you love San Francisco, whatever it is, but he's done nothing to do anything other than make it about him. And I'm not saying they should do this would not surprise me at all. If it was truly a bad situation, if they said, you know what, let's cut our losses and they move somebody before the all-star break, because they can. I was thinking about that today, Griff. Would that be the, the, the red nuclear option is, if it's not KD, I, I would imagine moving KD would be your first option because I wouldn't move Draymond. You can't replace Draymond on this roster. I don't, know who, I don't, I don't care who you are. It's going to be very difficult to find another Draymond out there that can defend one through five, have the same kind of spirit, and... Um, lead your team in assists. It's just very few Draymond Green Swiss Army Knives in the league. And then Clay Thompson, uh, the two-way aspect, the, the demeanor of him, I just don't see if he's, if he's the next guy. I think KD would be the one. Is a Well, and here's, here's the thing. To be clear, Tom, I, I don't believe they do this. But what I love about the Warriors organization, what I love about Steve Kerr and Bob Myers is that they're not going to give a rat's ass about perception. They're going to do the right thing. They did it by suspending Draymond because they believed it was holistically the right thing. And if Kevin Durant is not all in on the Warriors and their goals, they will trade him because they can live to tell the tale. And what they're building is going to live well beyond this current iteration of greatness. And it's because of that that if they felt compelled to act, they would. I don't think they will feel compelled, but this is the one place in the league where ownership is not going to have trepidation about doing something significant because of the trust they have there. And they know that they can get to the finals without him, with, without KD. They won 73 games. They won a championship without him. They went to the finals, and some team, I don't know who it was, hit a last-second shot to win that uh, 2016 championship. You might remember that. Lucky bastards. <laughs> so this is... Um, I want to go through a little bit of a time portal here to December of 2013. Do you know why I'm going to December 2013, Griff? I wish I, I knew, to be honest with you. I believe this is when Andrew Bynum was suspended indefinitely by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay, yep. When, in your tenure with the Cavs, did you ever suspend a guy internally in a Draymond Green way? And it seems like the Andrew Bynum... Uh, I believe the story goes, correct me if I'm wrong, he just took threes, jacked up threes in practice, or was there more to it? No, there was more to it than that. But again, it was conduct detrimental to the team. Um, It was putting yourself above the other players in the the roster. And I think Chris Grant did exactly the right thing there. He had to support the organization and the other players that are doing their job every day the right way. And it was really a, a gross let's call it gross malfeasance on the part of uh, of Bynum in that particular situation. And what specifically happens irrelevant, but he, he did the right thing there. Okay, because you have to cross a line. There has to be something for the team to suspend a player. Did you have any other instances where 
you had these internal discussions, hey, there was a practice blow up or there was uh, something that happened on the team plane that how often does this happen with championship aspiring teams? Because I, I kind of assumed before the suspension drop, Griff, that this was like, eh, whatever, Knicks fans are just making a big deal out of this because they want Kevin Durant. But then once they did the suspension, I was like, oh, this is a thing. This is not normal for a team to suspend its own player. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think things get to the level of pending suspension very often. And again, when you've got people trying to win a championship, you've got a lot of um, testosterone in that room. Yeah. You've got a lot of alpha in that room and you're going to have heated confrontations. It just it's going to happen and you're going to separate guys. And it, that's not unusual. In fact, I've, I've worked in the video room for coaches who really believed if we don't have a fight, we're not even close to being good. Um, so I don't think that's all that terribly unusual. It's unusual for it to happen on the bench in front of everybody, yeah. um, which then makes it so that it's going to come out. But it's not unusual for those things to happen. You know, I probably cost us a championship by not having Kendrick Perkins in the locker room enough. You asked the question about having someone to hold Draymond or KD in check and somebody to have LeBron in check. Kendrick Perkins is the single most important player in our locker room, our first run to the finals, because not only would he tell LeBron what he needed to hear, he could still play enough to lead by example on the court. And in the practices heading into the playoffs that year, he was lighting everybody up like a Christmas tree. But like, what we is not, what? All right, is it just because he's uh, uh, a scary dude? Like, he didn't. It's not like he's won like ten championships and he's walking in with the kind of clout that you need to. Like, wh- what is it about Kendrick Perkins that instills the fear of of God in people? For one, he works his ass off and he's doing all the right things for the love of the game. You know, Kendrick after his knee injury was never the same player. Right, but he continued to work and continued to be all about the right things from a teammate perspective. And he always had a very sage voice and it was a very country voice and everybody loved to make fun of the voice, but he had this ability to say the right thing at the right time, but he was unafraid. It's not that he was scary to other people. He was unafraid of LeBron. So when LeBron would say something where he was trying to intimidate everybody else, Kendrick would call him on that and he would say, that's bullshit. You missed a defensive assignment yourself. And Braun wanting to win more than anything else and more than any superstar I've ever known wants to be told what he needs to hear, appreciated Kendrick for it. And not not at the time, not at the time, but maybe a a few minutes later. Yeah, no, no. But that's the thing, though. (laughs) That's the thing. If all you care about winning if, if all you care about is winning, when you get out of that confrontation, and in LeBron's case, after you get out of the cold tub, you're going to go hug Kendrick and say, yeah. you're right. Thank you. And he that, did the same thing with Ty Lue. They would run really hot with each other. But that's because you have to be willing to tell anyone what they need to hear. You know, Brendan Haywood's called it Griff's Gangster. That when you're running a family, if you can be, as as I said about Steve Kerr, if you can love each other enough to tell each other what they need to hear, that means most of the time I'm going to be making you feel really good about yourself. But every once in a while, I'm going to let you know what you need to hear, and you may not like it, but I have to be fearless in its presentation. And Kendrick is that dude. And so I, I think it's 
it's a meaningful thing in a locker room to have those guys. You know, they're gonna they're gonna trade KD. I'm I'm joking here. They're gonna trade KD for Kendrick. Kendrick Perkins is gonna sign somewhere. They're gonna trade it for Ke- uh, Kendrick Perkins. So you heard it here, folks, at NBC Sports that. They're going to wave Kevin Durant and they're going to pick up uh, Kendrick Perkins. That's that's what's going to happen. I'll tell you right now, I mean this very seriously. If you have a superstar who will take hearing what he needs to hear, but a locker room full of guys that are unafraid, I mean, that are too afraid to do it, you better bring Kendrick Perkins in, in as a big man's coach. That's crazy. Because I remember in Miami, Juwan Howard was on the team and I said to Spo, I said, what, why? He, don't, he doesn't play why don't you just put him in a suit and make him an assistant coach? And Spo was like, he commands so much more respect if he wears a uniform and the guys are going to listen to him as a player way more than if he's a, wearing a suit. You're a has-been. You're, a, you're, you're done. You're washed up. No one needs to hear from you. Back in my day, we did this if you're wearing a suit. But if you're wearing a uniform, LeBron's going to listen. Yeah, you know? I, I think there's truth in that for sure. And, and Udonis Haslam was that for LeBron in Miami, and so was Dwayne Wade. But um, So let's switch gears here for a second. Uh, I've been saying this on the regionals here at NBC a lot, and it, it speaks directly to your work with the Phoenix Suns. The seven seconds or less in 2005, that team would rank last in pace. I think it's maybe 29th right now, but they averaged 97 possessions per 48 minutes in 2005. Today... The Memphis Grizzlies are at 96. The slowest team in the NBA is at 96. So for the majority of the first month of the season, the Phoenix Suns with Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, uh, Griff running the show, Steve Kerr, Colangelo, all that fun stuff, they would be Neanderthals. They'd be cavemen compared to today's <laughs> NBA. Why did you guys decide? What is the, the, the embryonic stages of going to seven seconds or less and can you imagine running a team where you're going to 110 possessions a game where it's like five seconds or less offense in today's NBA? Yeah, so the the pace part of it, I can certainly imagine. Um, I felt really grateful to be part of, of what Mike D'Antoni did in revolutionizing the way the game was played. Um, he really built a system around Steve Nash, but took most of that system and, and by his own admissions, all of that really came from what Rick Adelman was doing when Mike was there in Portland. They didn't play necessarily at the same pace, but Rick instilled a lot of the same beliefs in dribble, pass, and shoot, and worry about the defense later. It's really an interesting thing because not only did we change the way the game was played, we opened it up for everyone to see the analytics of a team that led the league in field goal percentage, three-point percentage, assist to turnover ratio. It was possible to win with this style of play. I think people that are far smarter than I am started modeling the analytics we were using and that we had built the team with and came up with a lot of answers to questions that I wasn't even smart enough to ask. And part of it was, is there a point of absurdity about jacking up threes? Can you, is it even possible to take too many? And I I think you found now that it probably is possible to take too many if your team's not capable of doing it. But the downside risk of playing that fast, and we were blessed that Sean Marion covered up every mistake we made defensively. He's, He's the most underrated player on any great team I think that's ever been. So Sean averages 20 and 10 for three straight years as an undersized four. He's blocking shots and getting steals without fouling, which gets us out in transition. And at the same time, he's our eraser. 
He's the one covering up for everyone else. He's guarding the best wing option every single night in terms of threes and sometimes even twos. And Raja would take the point guard. It was an incredible group, but we could defend at the pace we played at for the most part. We weren't good. Don't get me wrong. And when the game slowed down late in game, San Antonio kicked our ass all the time. Because <laughs> we They were excellence in execution and defensively we were not. And it drives a lot of the players that were on those teams crazy that we didn't spend more time caring about that and drives me crazy as well. But we could defend for the most part at the pace we played at. The reason I'm going on so much about this is I think now in the league, teams have gotten so caught up in pace. They're playing at a pace that they can't defend at. Yes. And if you look at the teams that play the fastest in the league right now, Atlanta, Sacramento, LA defensive teams. (laughs) So the only good one is Milwaukee, and they have the athleticism like or the, the defensive guys like Giannis. He's fantastic. Brooke Lopez, I don't understand. The, that is the most crystallized version of like what Steph has done to the NBA is Brooke Lopez sh- jacking up thirty-five footers and making them. I mean, shooting what eight eight of thirteen the other night. It's it's amazing where the league has gone. And I'm looking at a team right now who isn't making any waves right now on a national level, but. Uh, Portland is 10-3 and three at the moment. They have a lot of continuity, but yet not much buzz around Portland. But I think they're kind of sneaky really good this year, right? Yeah, I think so. And it's interesting you mentioned Portland right after Brooke Lopez because no one connects these dots right now nationally, and I, I think it's a crime. Brooke Lopez is basically benefiting from the Channing Fry experience with the oh, Phoenix Suns. Yes. So Channing Fry proved unequivocally – in Phoenix, and then we brought him to Cleveland to do the exact same thing because we watched it happen once before. If you are an incredibly high-character guy and all you care about winning and you will play the role that we want you to play, just the presence of a five that pulls the opposing five away from the basket is a big deal. But when he can make 40% of his threes and release them like a guard, you would shed Atlanta two years in a row, 4-0-4-0, and shoot in a way that no team's ever shot in history because of Channing Fry. Because literally you could play four out and one in, and the one in is LeBron, who's the best passer in history. Yep. And what Milwaukee is doing, we did that to Bud. <laughs> Mike Buddenholzer was the one receiving that beatdown oh, yeah. years in a row. And he had enough intellectual curiosity to say, how do I do that? And if it's not for the presence of Mike Buddenholzer, that team is nowhere near what they are now, in large part because they wouldn't have been smart enough to bring Brooke in in all likelihood. And more importantly, he's got them playing at a defensive level that those Atlanta teams played at all throughout it. You know, people don't give Bud anywhere near enough credit for how good a job he did with the talent he had in Atlanta. He's got way more talent now in Milwaukee from an athletic standpoint, and they are just a blast to watch, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you put them in that tier of the East, like, elite? Like, could make oh, it to the finals? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually, everybody bags on how terrible the East is, and last year it was a f- all-out panic of how do we get the top 16 in, in the playoffs? The East is a mess. The East is a mess. The four best teams in the East right now have a better chance against Golden State in the playoffs than any current Western Conference team. And right this minute, if you said who's the second best team in the West, it's the Portland team you mentioned. And 
They've won four straight. They've won seven of eight. They've beat. They've won at Indy, at Houston. They beat New Orleans, Milwaukee, the Clippers, Boston. Those are all playoff teams. Yeah. And and they're doing it on the defensive side of the floor with a group that people believed could not defend at a high level. And the reason people bought that, which was total nonsense, was that people really underestimate the value of role players. Mo Harkless's injury last year was one of the biggest, most damaging to any playoff team because a la Bamute and Trevor Ariza, Aminu and Harkless are the defensive presence that allows for Dame and CJ to go crazy. Yes. And Zach Collins is a combination of Brooke Lopez Channing Fry and a rim protector who can also pass the ball a little bit. So he is a guy who fits in seamlessly with the way the game is being played now, but they can defend at a really high level because they have their two defensive pit bulls healthy. And nobody talked about that last year. They suffer from the West coast anti-bias where it's like, if they were on the East coast, I feel like Portland would be everyone's favorite team right now or a really hot team but I I just think that not enough people get to watch them they play late at night and Zach Collins is one of the most interesting young prospects in the league because he fits everything that you need in a big man in today's NBA so real quick before I let you go Griff I need to hear it who's going to play in the NBA finals on the eastern side now I'm not going to hold you to this but I want to real quick your thoughts on Jimmy Butler in Philly and where that places them on the map. Given what they are now, I understand that they're probably going to add some pieces, maybe Kyle Korver, but what is your standings right now of people that you should be most fearful of in the East? Gosh, that's a great question. I got Toronto right now, then Philly, then Boston, then Milwaukee. So I've got Philly after the Pacers. So I've got Philly fifth right now. And it's mostly just about the volatility in the in the system. They they could certainly emerge to me as the team that has a very real chance. But I look at what Toronto does with the pieces they added by adding Kawhi and Danny. Danny Green was a really under the radar acquisition in that trade. But he's a veteran who knows how to win and he can shoot the ball in clutch situations and he can defend. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot easier thing to integrate into your team than reintroducing a bunch of ball dominance in Boston and having young kids that have never been elite role players figure out how to play their role. That's going to take some time, but they'll figure it out. Brad Stevens is amazing. So I'm going to take Boston to represent in the finals. Awesome. Well, uh, Griff, thank you so much for joining me on my first episode of the Haberstroh Show podcast on NBC Sports. Honored to be part of the premiere, my man. Couldn't ask for a better dude to be on the on the uh, premiere. So thank you so much. Be safe out there, and hopefully I will see you around the NBA. Thanks, Tom. Talk to you soon. That, my friends, is the show. I want to thank Griff for being the first guest, and I want to thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And also, go to NBCSports.com slash Haberstroh. That's H-A-B-E-R-S-T-R-O-H for my latest and greatest. Until next time.